after I finished my sermon on the Mount series last week, I was wondering what I was going to teach on this week uh, and next. I'm planning on doing a series on the last half of Exodus chapter 20 and then all the way through Exodus 21, Exodus 22, Exodus 23, and Exodus 34. And it's going to be a detailed examination of various commandments and instructions in Yahweh's law. We're going to go verse by verse. We talk about the law and the commandments and being obedient. And so it's time to learn more than we've ever learned in the law of Yahweh. It's going to take a lot of time. It's a big endeavor. It might be as long as my Galatians series. Brother McCord loves those long series. So we're doing that for him. He's smiling back there. But I wasn't so sure that I wanted to start that right up today. So I was talking with my sons, two of them, Benjamin and Josiah, my son-in-law. I was talking with them the other day at work like we do so often. I got them cornered in that truck so I can preach to them. (laughs) And they can't go anywhere because they're right there. The subject of Christmas got brought up. I thought to myself, you know, it's been a long time since I taught on the subject of Christmas, I went back and and I looked to see when the last time was, and it was 2012, about nine years ago, when I taught on that subject. And I've grown a lot in my faith and my walk since then. I thought nine years, you know, David just turned 13. I don't have any children that are younger than David, so David would have been four years old when I taught on that subject. And so I told my sons, I said, you know what? There's been a long time passed by. We've got some new people here at the church. And so I thought, well, I'll teach some lessons on the subject of Christmas for a few sermons at least, maybe from now till Christmas. (laughs) This will not be your ordinary Christmas sermons, though, I'll tell you that. So a lot of preachers are probably going to talk about Christmas this time of the year, but it'll be a good refresher course for a lot of us. The Apostle Peter in his epistle, in his second epistle. He said, I write to you this second time in which I stir up your minds by way of reminder. So it's good to have our minds stirred up by way of reminder, lest we let things that we know slip and fall and we go back in maybe to practices that are not proper. It's always good to go back and rehearse things that we believe. Sometimes when we do that, we find that we still believe the exact same way. Other times we fine-tune our beliefs and sometimes we change our views on something. I've had to change my views after studying and restudying. No matter how advanced I think I am on a subject, whenever I go back and review and restudy, I always find something fresh, find a better way to understand a particular point, or sometimes I change my mind because of deeper study. And all this helps me when I witness and explain my views to other people. So what I'd like to do in this first lesson is start at the beginning of my journey on this subject. And the last time I celebrated Christmas wholeheartedly was in 1996. It doesn't seem like a long time to me, but some of my children call the 90, 90s vintage. <laughs> Rosalind brought an outfit into the bedroom. She said, look at this vintage outfit from the 90s, Dad, not long ago. And I thought, man, the 90s is vintage now. So, What first got me thinking about this subject was a phone call that I had with my now wife, And we were talking on the phone, and I don't remember how it got brought up, but she told me, she said, you know, there's a verse in the Bible 
that speaks against putting up a tree in your home and decorating it. And I was like, no. <laughs> I've been raised in church my whole life. There's no verse in the Bible that says that. You ever been one of those people? No, that's not in the Bible. That can't be in the Bible. And so now I laugh because that began, that conversation began my long journey of realizing that many things were in the Bible that I was not aware of being in the Bible. <laughs> so I'm thankful that Tisha told me that that day. And she told me to turn over to Jeremiah 10. Now this was before the internet. I guess maybe it had been invented at the time. But it was all dial-up. Anybody remember the dial-up? We'd have to listen to the phone go and, you know, take three minutes for a little simple page to load. Uh, we did not have a computer. I lived with my grandparents at the time. We did not have a computer in that house. My grandmama and granddaddy never got a computer to this day. Grandmama, she's still alive. She does not have a computer in her house. Just now got Wi-Fi so she could watch Netflix. She likes Highway to Heaven <laughs> on Netflix. So, But we didn't have anything like that. This was before all that, much less the latest iPhone where we can just pull up information just like that. We're so blessed to have that technology. It can be used for the good. It's used for a lot of evil, but it can be used for the good. Let's remember that. So I opened up the Bible that I had at the time. I was given this Bible in 1995. I still have it. It's my old King James Study Bible put out by Thomas Nelson Publishers. And I opened up this Bible. You see a picture of it on the screen. I don't use this Bible much anymore, but I looked for it yesterday in my library and I, I found it. And... It's the only one I had at the time. It's the only study book that I had. And I read Jeremiah 10, 1 through 5. And this is what I read over the phone with Tisha that night, that day. Hear ye the word which the Lord, it's all capital letters, so it signifies the tetragrammaton, yod Hey, wal Hey, is there. Hear ye the word which Yahweh speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith Yahweh, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of the heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers. Then it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. Now I read that way back in 1997. And I think at first I was speechless because I could not believe that something like that was in the Bible. Over the years, as I've learned proper hermeneutics, Bible study, interpretation methods, I've gained a more developed understanding of this text. I actually do, I'll say this here at the first part of the series, I actually do believe that this text still condemns the practice of the modern-day Christmas tree, by the way. I've grown in my exegesis of the text. We'll eventually get to exegeting this text in Jeremiah 10. But I never want to forget my first childlike faith reading of that text. Sometimes I think we get too smart for our own good when we study the Bible. What I mean by this is that instead of reading it with childlike eyes, we talk ourselves out of something that the text says. Now, Bible study can be hard. Bible study can be in-depth. But when we just read, believe, and obey like little children, I think that's probably when our faith is the purest. So I read this that day. I believed it, and I never did what Yahweh said not to do again. Now, fast forward 25 years into the future. Time seems like it has flown. I have grandchildren now. 
Here I am talking about a phone call I had with Tisha. Her and I have been married almost 24 years. And as a married couple, Tisha and I have never put up a Christmas tree. We've never celebrated Christmas. My five children have never celebrated Christmas. We've never told our children that there was a Santa Claus. We've never done anything in our home pertaining to Christmas. One thing I always remember when I talk about this subject, I always remember one time I was standing in the line at the grocery store and I was holding, I believe it was Morgan in my arms. She was maybe three or four years old, about like little Bowen back there. And it was in the month of December, and of course in the month of December everybody's, you know, have a holly jolly, you know, all that. And someone looked at her in my arms and they asked her something like, what do you want Santa to bring you this year? And I didn't say anything, and Morgan looked at her just matter-of-factly, straight shot. She said, we don't believe in Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Some people don't like that you teach your children things like that, but I've tried to teach my children not to instigate things, but I've told them if somebody asks them anything, then it's open season, right? A lot of times I get around people that I love and I don't bring anything up. When they bring something up to me, I, I bring up things to them. My daughter knew that. That's my oldest daughter. She knew that because we practiced Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 in our home. Repeat these things to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That's, how, that's why she knew that. Because we taught her the scriptures against lying and against heathenism and against pagan practice. I've revisited my studies on Christmas a few times over the last 25 years and I've came to the same or similar conclusions that I had the first time I ever read Jeremiah 10, 1 through 5. When I first restudied the subject, it was 2003 and I tried to go into the study. I fasted, I prayed, I was trying to be objective because I didn't want to teach or believe anything incorrect and I didn't want to tell somebody it was wrong to do something if it wasn't wrong to do it. Uh, at the same token, I didn't want to tell somebody it was right to do something if it was wrong to do it. I went over this again in 2011 and 2012, about nine years ago, and I came to similar conclusions but more depth. Now, here we are today in 2021, but I'm going to spend my time over the next few weeks. I'm going to go back over my studies, and I'm going to share with you what I go over when I do my weekly teachings here at our Holy Convocation. And I'm going to start today by saying something that should be obvious to anybody who has read and studied the Bible, not somebody who has skimmed over it, not somebody who was bought a Bible and never read it, but somebody that has read the Bible at least one time through cover to cover and has studied portions of the Bible, this should be obvious. And this is where I always begin when I talk to somebody about this subject. None of the earliest believers in the Messiah, whether they were Israelite or non-Israelite, commonly called Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile in the KJV, none of them celebrated what we call Christmas. The best place to start is in primary source material. And primary source material here is the New Testament, the apostolic scriptures, the gospels, the epistles, the historical record in the book of Acts. We don't have a record of anything in the first century A.D. where believers in the Messiah celebrated Christmas. It's not there. Now they believed in the Christ, the anointed one. They believed that he had been born they believed the accounts that we have in Matthew 1 through 2 and Luke 1 through 2 
the birth narratives of the Messiah. And at Yeshua's birth, there was an angel of Yahweh, the text says, that announced to the shepherds, he said this, he said, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Master, was born for you in the city of David. That's Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And then in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising the Almighty and saying, Glory to the Almighty in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. That's from the HCSB, which renders it better than the KJV. You're probably familiar with the KJV because at this time of the year people say, Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And that's actually not attested to in the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Luke. It'll make the hair stand on, on the back of people's necks if you tell them it's supposed to say, Peace on earth to people he favors. It will. But Yahweh does favor those who serve him. He does. In one sense, the word he loves everybody, but he favors those who serve him, who are his children. So according to Luke chapter 2 here, when the Messiah was born, there was rejoicing, there was celebration over Yeshua's birth. Because why? Some people were already recognizing the promised Messiah has been born in the city of David. Prophecy was being fulfilled. It was announced to shepherds. I believe Brother TJ brought up the shepherds recently in one of his sermons, which shows the lowliness and the humility of our Messiah right from the start. The shepherds were considered low class, lower class people. But the angels, the heavenly host, announced it to the shepherds. After that occurrence in Luke 2, each year as the date or the day of the birth of the Messiah rolled around, there was no Christmas. We aren't told here in Luke 2 anything about December 25th. That's not even Yahweh's calendar, right? That's a man-made calendar, Julian, Gregorian. Much less are we told anything about Santa Claus, reindeer, Christmas tree, ornaments. That's not in the Bible. You won't find that in the Bible. Not only this, and I'll develop this as we get more into our studies, there's not only nothing in the first century in the primitive church, the Hebrew messianic faith about Christmas, there's nothing in the second century about a feast day celebrating Christ's birth. From 100 A.D. to 200 A.D., there's nothing in the quote-unquote early church fathers, what's sometimes called the anti-Nicene church fathers. Now, these men are not Scripture, and I do not agree with everything that they wrote, but these are generally early Gentile Christians who lived and wrote prior to the church council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Long story short, the council, the church council of Nicaea was convened in order to begin deciding what's now called the classic doctrine of the Trinity. They also decided on what they believed to be the proper date for Easter. They didn't call it Easter, they called it Pasha. And they decided at the Council of Nicaea that Pasha would always be celebrated on the Sunday that followed the 14th day of the moon of Abib. And there's more intricacy in, in, in that, but that's it in a nutshell. Now I have the 10 volume set of the Antinicene Fathers. It's good reading, but there's nothing in the second century suggesting any celebration in the wintertime for the birth of the Messiah. Nothing in there about a feast day celebrating the Messiah's birth at all in the second century. Christmas is much like the doctrine of the Trinity. 
Now, this is not going to upset people here, but I've told this to people, and it's very upsetting to them when I say this, but Christmas, much like the doctrine of the Trinity, was something that developed in Gentile Christianity in the 4th and 5th centuries A.D. We're talking about the 300s and the 400s A.D. Christmas had to develop, and the doctrine of the Trinity had to develop. When you read the Older Testament and the Newer Testament and the Antinocene Fathers, nobody believed in the doctrine of the Trinity. Nobody celebrated Christmas as part of their faith. Those were later developments of doctrine. Abraham was not a Trinitarian. John the Baptist was not a Trinitarian. So those two actually go hand in hand. The, the development of, of Christmas as a religious Christian holy day and the doctrine of the Trinity go hand in hand. Um, none of them were believed. Either doctrine was believed by New Testament Messianic people. Now, sometimes when I point these things out to traditional Christians, they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, Matthew, the early believers didn't celebrate Thanksgiving either. They didn't celebrate Independence Day either. I, I will say, unless, of course, we understand that the Hebrew Thanksgiving that takes place in the autumn season actually is the Feast of Tabernacles. And the first Thanksgiving probably coincided with the Feast of Tabernacles because it was kept early October instead of late November if my memory serves me right, the late November date was chosen by uh, President Abraham Lincoln uh, later on in American history. But the obvious answer here is one reason that no early believers that we read about in the Newer Testament celebrated these holidays, Thanksgiving, Independence Day, is because their origin of these holidays did not exist back then. That should be the obvious answer. They didn't exist back then. These are American holidays. They find their origin in American history, which only dates back at the most to the 1600s A.D. So we're looking at about, you know, uh, 400 plus years ago or less. This would be like me saying no early believer in the Messiah in the first century observed Memorial Day. Well, you'd say, well, of course they didn't observe Memorial Day because that's a day that we have here in America where we remember American soldiers who have died in wars gone past. So of course they didn't observe that. The American memorial holiday did not exist back then. So when somebody mentions this point to me, part of the point is legit. And this is the part that's legitimate. Just because a holiday was not observed by the earliest Christians doesn't automat automatically make that holiday pagan. And when I say pagan, I mean devoted to other mighty ones, devoted to other Elohim. But Christmas is not in the same category as Thanksgiving or the 4th of July, and here's why. Thanksgiving and the 4th of July find their origins in early American history. Christmas claims to find its origin not in American history, but in the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ took place about 2,000 years ago. Scholars dated anywhere from 7 B.C. to 4 A.D. So the event that was supposed to catapult the holiday happened back before the book of Acts. Yet no believer in the Messiah recorded in the book of Acts celebrated Christmas or anything like Christmas. Today, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, annual feast day in the traditional Christian church. The only one that competes with it in the Christian church is Easter. And Easter is just a replacement for the Pesach, the Passover. So Christmas is probably the biggest annual feast day in the traditional Christian church. 
if it is supposed to be such a prestigious Christian holiday, why did not the earliest believers in Christ celebrate it after he was born? The event happened. They could have done it, but they did not. Now, we do celebrate the birth of the Messiah in a manner of speaking. Sometimes we read the accounts of his birth, and we rejoice at those accounts. We're thankful that our Messiah was born. Uh, we can sing a song about his birth, just like we can sing a song about his death. Or we can sing a song about his resurrection. So we're thankful that he was born. We don't know when he was born. We'll talk about that here in just a second. We don't know when he was born. Scripture doesn't tell us that information. But we do rejoice and celebrate the fact that he was born and later sent into the world to save us from our sins. But this does not equal Christmas. <laughs> now, it's pretty popular in the Torah community to believe that Yeshua was born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. If you haven't heard that, you just haven't been around the community enough or long enough because every time Tabernacles rolls around, I see things like this shared on social media. Sukkot, celebrate the true birth of the Messiah. He was born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he was circumcised on the eighth day, that crowning day of the feast. Well, the Bible does not say that. <laughs> it, it, it would be cool if it was true, but the Bible just doesn't say that. And sometimes this makes Messianic people just as mad as when you tell Christians that our Messiah probably wasn't born on December 25th. Messianic people get just as mad when I tell them, no, our Messiah wasn't born on the first day of Sukkot. The best that they can come up with is John 1, verse 14, where we read that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt, they point out that the Greek word there, skenu, literally means to pitch a tent or to tabernacle. And yes, that's what the word means. But every time you see the Greek word skenu, it doesn't mean that the Feast of Tabernacles is being celebrated. And that's not what John 1.14 is talking about. It's not talking about the Feast of Tabernacles in context. Uh, that same Greek word, skenu, is used in the Septuagint version of Genesis 13, verse 12, where it says that Lot pitched his tent in or as far as Sodom. Was Lot celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles when he pitched his tent towards Sodom? No, him and Abraham, or Abram at that time, were deciding what land they wanted to, to live on. Abram gave Lot and his herdsmen first choice, and then Abram took what was left over. It does kind of sound neat if Yeshua was born at this time, but it's not true, and we need to drop this idea if we have it, because it's just as unprovable, maybe more so even, than the December 25th date. Let me show you why. Look with me to Luke chapter 2, 1 through 5. I'm reading now from the World English Bible. Luke 2, 1 through 5. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to enroll themselves, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to David's city, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David to enroll himself with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him as wife, being pregnant. Now, I'm not going to do a complete exegesis of this text here. This is part of the birth narrative of Yeshua as recorded by Luke. I want you to notice here in verse 5, Mary, she was pledged or betrothed, engaged to Joseph, 
And she was pregnant with the promised Messiah because of the miracle that happened in Luke chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 1 here. Let's look at something a little bit more detailed. Look at verse 1. There was a decree that goes out from the Caesar at the time who was Augustus. And the decree went out that all the world, and the Greek word for world there means the inhabited earth, probably in context the Roman Empire, all the world should be taxed or enrolled or registered. Some Bibles say taxed, registered, or enrolled is probably better. Basically, it's a census that's taking place. Of everyone that lived in the Roman Empire, probably for the purpose of making sure everyone gets taxed. So they're registered in a census so that everybody gets taxed. So this decree goes out, and then look at verse 3. It says that everyone went to his own city to be enrolled. Verse 4 explains what that means. It says that they went to the city of their ancestry. Joseph and his betrothed left Galilee, which is in the northern region of Israel, the city of Nazareth. They left that area and they traveled to southern Israel, but they did not travel to Jerusalem, which is where the festivals were kept at this time. They did not travel to Jerusalem. He went to the city of David. David calls this his city in 1 Samuel 20, verse 6. The city of David known as Bethlehem. Why did he go there? Because he was of the house, the family line or the lineage of David. He had Davidic ancestry. Bethlehem, as you see on the map, is south of Jerusalem by about five miles. Down at the bottom of the map, you have Jerusalem, which is just above Bethlehem. They're about five miles apart. The white arrow on the screen shows where they journeyed from territory of the region of Galilee, the city of Nazareth, all the way down to Bethlehem. If I remember right, I think it's about a 70 mile journey. And so he probably, Joseph probably walked, he probably had Mary ride on an animal, a donkey, mule, something like that. Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem by about five miles. That's not far by, by car, but it would take about an hour and a half to casually walk or journey on good terrain about 90 minutes to walk that five miles. The main point here is that Joseph and Mary were not traveling to Jerusalem from Nazareth. Jerusalem was where the feast days were celebrated. They were going to Bethlehem for the census, not Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem, not in Jerusalem. And it wasn't only them. Luke chapter 2 verse 3 says that everyone went to be registered or enrolled, each to his own city. So we've got people in the land of Israel traveling all over the place to be registered and enrolled so that they could be taxed. And if they're all going each to his own city, that obviously doesn't mean that they're all congregated in Jerusalem for a festival. So it couldn't have been the Feast of Tabernacles. It's impossible. The text would have definitely had, had said that it was if Caesar Augustus made a decree that during the Feast of Tabernacles everybody was to go not to Jerusalem but to all the different cities in Israel the text would have recorded that. There probably would have been a revolt among the, the Israelite people of that time. There's no indication in the Gospels that the Israelites were not allowed to celebrate their feasts under Roman rule. And the only thing we need to do here is look at Luke chapter 2, 41 through 42. Same chapter, a little bit later on, our Messiah now has made it up to 12 years of age. And in Luke 2, 41 through 42, it says every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. So the Israelites were allowed to keep the feasts under Roman rule. 
It was their custom to travel to Jerusalem. That was the place where Yahweh had put his name at that time in the land of Israel. That is not where Joseph and Mary traveled when the, uh, Yeshua was born. That is not where everybody was traveling. So it could not have been Sukkot. The birth of Yeshua recorded in Luke 2, 1 through 20, did not take place during Sukkot. It sounds good. It might give Messianic people warm fuzzies, but it didn't happen that way. So in this lesson, I have shared with you the beginning of my journey on this subject where I read Jeremiah 10, 1 through 5. I've also told you that no Christians, Jew or Greek, celebrated Christmas in either the 1st or 2nd century A.D. I've told you that Thanksgiving or Independence Day, that argument is not really a proper parallel. I've also told you that we can think on, rejoice in, sing about, celebrate the fact that the Messiah was born. Got no problem with that. And I've told you that Yeshua, I believe, he was definitely not born during the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't think he was born during any commanded feast for that matter. So I want you to meditate on those points. Uh, feel free to ask me any questions if you like. Um, and we'll pick this back up next week. Now next week I want to look at the December 25th date. At least that's what I have in my mind right now. That could change as I study through the week. But I want to look at the December 25th date, the significance of that or non-significance of that, um, and ask why many Christians choose to celebrate Christmas on that day. There's always a reason for everything that we do, whether we want to admit it or not. There's always a reason.